1: Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney, Jay Carson. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay. I don't know why should not the way I said, Jay Carson. But anyway, I guess <laughs> hey, there you go. I want to give you the big intro. So, how are you doing today?
0: I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm wishing that the uh, Rothschilds would focus their space lasers here on uh, Northeast Ohio <laughs> because it's, I'm, I'm freezing. Mike is the
1: yeah. Um, we 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 we'll get into I think that a little bit. But uh, before we do, we want to thank our. Our latest Patreon supporters, uh Mike, who's actually a returning supporter, along with Emily, Caitlin, Eric, Adam, Kurt, and Steven. Oh, and Michael as well. Mike
0: suffered some sort of relapse.
1: But no, I mean, I, I think it's it's always great when we get someone who for whatever reason kind of had a had a you know hold up support because you know, tough times and so forth. And sure, so sure, when no, people say, Hey, you know, I was able to come back, and I, I really appreciate that. So that means a lot. And Michael, not Mike, but Michael wrote in to say, I've been listening to the show for a while now and I really enjoy the variety of takes on current events. I probably should have started contributing sooner, but better late than never, keep up the good work. And so, yeah, Michael, thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. And of course, you guys all know that when you're a Patreon supporter, you don't only just get that full-length episode, the bonus episode every week. You also get ad-free versions of all our shows, various other things at various levels. To check it all out, just go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. And as always, if for whatever reason you want to get that bonus show but you're not in a place where you can afford to support the podcast financially, just send me an email, at politicsguys.com, and I will get you all set up. And also, if a monthly pledge, too much of a commitment or you just are not really a fan of Patreon, prefer PayPal, we can do that, too. To check out that option, just go to politicsguys.com support. All right. So to start off with, we're going to be talking about, well, the latest state of the stimulus talks on Friday. The Senate approved a budget bill that clears the way for the Biden administration's $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan to be approved under budget reconciliation rules, which would deny Senate Republicans the ability to filibuster the package. This vote was entirely along party lines, with Vice President Harris voting to break that 50-50 Senate tie. And while President Biden says he prefers bipartisan support and has indicated a a willingness to talk with congressional Republicans, and in fact, he did earlier in the week. He's also stressed the importance of passing a relief measure quickly, which would, of course, be a lot more difficult if there were to be extensive negotiations. And right now, the parties are pretty far apart on the overall size of their proposals. The Republicans have countered that $1.9 trillion plan with one that comes at around $618 billion. And that's less than a third of what the Biden administration wants, if you do the math, which I just did. Um, But one area where the president has said he'd be willing to bend is in direct payments. And not the amount, $1,400, but the income level to which the payments are targeted. Biden initially proposed that the payments only go to those with incomes of below 75,000. That would be kind of the cap Republicans counted with 40,000, but there are indications now that Democrats would be willing to accept a $50,000 income limit to that. So that's kind of where we stand right now, Jay, uh, you know, what do you think I guess about the competing proposals themselves before we get into the politics of it?
0: So I, I, I think the, you know, the bigger piece for Republicans and, and I, I think, you know, they I'm surprised I'm not making a bigger argument about this, is there is still these this piece that is uh state relief, right? That's not just the targeted COVID stuff. Um but uh I think this is it's kind of playing out as as you would have expected, right? Um the Biden administration is going to float the proposal. Uh, there will be an attempt to say we'd like to make this bipartisan, and we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, I, I think you know the the administration's idea of, of bipartisanship means you vote for my bill, um, as opposed to okay, we'll we'll you know accept some some uh, some changes. The other big piece of this, of course, is also this fifteen dollars um, minimum wage. Uh, and Biden signaled uh just recently that that he may or may not uh you know that 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 might be something that is is negotiable. Um so so we'll see. Um I, I think I, I think you know I think there's a strong a good argument to be made that the $15 uh, minimum wage piece would fall out uh, of reconciliation under what's called the, the Byrd rule um which it gets pretty complicated it has to do with the uh Senate parliamentarian uh determining what's in in um in in the uh uh reconciliation and what's not and then there is also a procedure whereby uh the parliamentarian can be overridden um so any but but setting that aside uh that might be another area where i think there might be compromise is, yeah that's not going to be you could yeah. say look okay this isn't this is a policy piece that's not really uh related to to covid uh in fact i i would make you know as a conservative a strong argument that this is a 15 dollars minimum wage uh increase is probably the last thing you want to do uh particularly to the service industry uh, uh that's been you know you know probably the, the hardest hit by covid
1: yeah well you know i i want to get back to that state thing because you talked about negotiation and what the idea of you know bipartisanship is you accept this but and i I get what you're saying there. But also, you know, when the Biden administration says, well, we propose three hundred fifty billion dollars in aid to local state and local governments. And the Republican proposal is, you know what we're counter with? Zero. Zero dollars. I mean, you know, so I, I guess it's, you That's know, it's negotiating fa- position. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's fair to say, well, to what extent was this a good faith uh, on both sides sort of offer, right? Because there are some pretty significant differences. Not just that, but for instance, the Democratic plan has 170 billion dollars for school reopening. Twenty billion dollars for the Republican proposal. That's eleven only eleven percent of that. Or unemployment insurance is three hundred fifty billion dollars in the Republican. Sorry, in the Democratic plan, one hundred thirty-two billion dollars in the in the Republican counter. So I mean, now that you could say, well, okay, that's a reasonable counter, but zero is probably not so much a reasonable counter. I would say.
0: Well, I, th- I think though, if you if you take a look at, um, you know, and I'm. I'm there's to guess separate separate issues, one the state and local stuff, which i as i I can understand, I think Republicans have a a a philosophical uh you know fundamental difference on that on the school reopening though I think there's there's some numbers to be crunched there because there's 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 evidence that look a lot of the the money that's already been uh shoveled out in the pipeline hasn't been spent yet. Uh, and I think it's, it's not a, a frivolous argument to say, listen, we've, we've put all this money out there and hasn't even been spent yet. Do we really need to, to put out more? Um, you know, and, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, but, but there's, there's an argument to be had and there's evidence to be taken and <laughs> your testimony to be heard on, on those kind of issues, I think.
1: Yeah. I, I, um, on
0: that point, you know, I think, that's true, but also I think people
1: maybe have a, a, a mis uh, a misunderstanding to an extent about how that works. In other words, you know, Congress can appropriate that money, and you know, they, they certainly did the late last year, right? But right. it takes quite a bit of time for that to work its way through the various checks and balances and, right. it and stages. It some.
0: It probably is yes, you know, distributed to some sort of state, and there's probably some sort of state funding. Formula in which it goes out to local school districts, and then those local school districts have to make some sort of decisions about what they actually use the money for. So yes, and, I, I think and, that, that and makes so, sense. And so
1: yeah, my point is is just because the appropriated money hasn't been spent that's generally not an indication that it won't be spent or it isn't needed. It's oftentimes just an indication that it has to work its way through that process. And I don't think people necessarily appreciate how long that process can take six months can, can seem like almost no time for that kind of process in many instances. Right.
0: Right. But the, the the point is still the money hasn't been spent. Right. And, And it may be if we're, if we're, Going talking about, well, it could spent two, three, four months from now. Um, OK, uh, are we really going to need that big infusion of cash then in another six to nine months? Um, when we may be in a much better situation from the pandemic
1: right and and the counter to that is well, the schools actually are incurring these expenses, but mm-hmm. they don 't have access to the money to spend or may not, and so but you know your point I think is still well taken is that we need to understand exactly how these flows are working and what 's going to be spent when and what may
0: be needed, so yeah, absolutely, and i, yeah, I mean be- to me that's that's basic that 's a basic oversight kind of question right yeah.
1: Absolutely. And I I should also point out that uh, Larry Summers, who is no uh, who's no conservative, certainly, and and many he's been, you know, was a Obama Obama era top economic official. He wrote uh, an op ed piece in The Washington Post this week, arguing that while it's better, it's certainly better to go too big than too small in response to something of this you know, magnitude, this kind of economic crisis caused by the pandemic. His argument was that the Biden proposal might actually be considerably too big. His estimation was around three times the size of what the CBO projected to be the economic shortfall due to COVID. And if you look at that, you would say, well, it looks like the Republican counter is right. Say, about, if you do the
0: math, Mike, <laughs>
1: exactly right about that. Now, being fair, the uh, kind of looking at it the other way, of course, it's not just about the the top line budget number. It's about where it goes, and so you don't want to just kind of make a straw man out of that. But you know, Summers raises some important points. Like, for instance, have we just basically decided that we can we can borrow as much money? We can borrow trillions and trillions, and. Not have there ever be any inflation. There are some people who say, yeah, that's modern monetary theory and we can go way further than we have. And maybe they're right, but we certainly don't want to find out that they're wrong. And there's a certain lag time there. But I think to me, more importantly, uh, a more important consideration here is if we do this, if we go 1.9 trillion big, which is my sense of what's going to happen, well, that necessarily then constrains what the biden administration can do what what the government can do in other areas like for instance infrastructure one, or some sort of you know green so, new but. deal or something like that because you can't do there won't be there won't be the political will to do all of these things because understand people said we just spent 1.9 trillion on this so we don't have the money for infrastructure we don't feel comfortable and you know I think reasonable people can come to different conclusions, but just simply saying, well, we're going to do it all. That's not, I don't think a reasonable conclusion to come to.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'd I'd agree with you a hundred percent. I would, I would hope that, um, you know, I think there have been Republicans out there, conservative thinkers who have looked at this uh, pandemic silver lining and, and sort of this, you know, the, the big explosion in spending and said, well at least now we can say okay we we've spent this money and now we need to really look at uh tightening our belts and and you know taking look looking at some of these considerations um that we haven't before i mean stuff like entitlement reform you know that kind of thing um but uh you know with with the idea the modern monetary policy idea that well you just keep borrowing till whenever or that uh There's always more rich people to tax. Um, I mean, that's that's the concern, right? Uh, Well, that's
1: my concern, and the second thing, certainly. (laughs) I mean, I feel like you know you can one of the one of the reconciliation rules, as you know, is you can't just use it whenever. It's basically kind of one a a year. Sort of, but my my thinking is well, this year's this year's reconciliation thing is COVID, and I would I would hope that next year's readjusts or takes away some of the uh, some of the problematic aspects of the of the twenty seventeen Trump tax cuts, which were done, of course, under well reconciliation rules.
0: So, but, but I mean, in my understanding, I think you get, and and there's some dispute over this. Um, I know there was a discussion among uh, congressional democrats a couple weeks ago about well maybe we can use we can use reconciliation uh, a lot more um just depending on how you 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 yeah set i don't think the, so i up, think it's right? i think it ends no, no, up no, no, yeah. I, I'd, I'd agree there it's it's a there's the, a disputed issue um it's a stupid
1: but, rule by the way it's a stupid rule it's a ridiculous thing because it 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 was designed as a response, essentially, to the really bad, really bad idea of changing the filibuster to make it easier, the filibuster. And then all of a sudden they realized, well, we actually kind of need to pass a budget. So the let's have stuff. these special yeah. rules. It's like this whole kludgy sort of thing. And the real answer to this is reforming the filibuster. But no one seems to want to have that conversation, at least not in Congress. It's like this, well, should we keep it or should we eliminate it? And I,
0: that's a false choice. And it just really just ticks me off. I know it does. Um, but So another point I wanted to, Hit on just on the the sheer numbers of of the the budget, um, so you know a year or so ago, I mean when when let's let's say March of last year, uh, when when COVID first hit and hit hard, I think there was a lot of sense of the look, go big or go home. Right, this is and and I as as the fiscal conservative that I am, uh, I think made statements uh, on this very show uh, that look, this is, this is the emergency. If you're going to have a lot of, uh, government spending now is the time. Um, and, and, you know, sort of the, if the house is on fire, you know, you're, you, you know, get out the fire hose. You don't and, worry about and, the
1: water uh, bill. Yeah,
0: you just, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, uh, that's, that's right. And that's correct. Um, a year into it, um, you know, I guess the question is, do we still need to be the fire hose on? right and at what point do you you say okay look the the fire is mostly out and and i think there's some some evidence to say listen the the unemployment rate was uh, 6.3 um that's not great um but it's it's also uh i mean that was kind of a tuesday in the obama administration right um you know it's it's not we're not looking at the 15% unemployment uh rate that we were seeing um in in april of last year. And I think there's there's a sense of the economy is recovering, could it recover quicker, sure. Um but how much of that is is uh a matter of of pumping out government money or extra checks to people and how much is it just yeah. uh, getting places reopened.
1: Well that that's part of it, but the other part of it is of course because of that huge spike In unemployment, where essentially, you know, huge part, major parts of the economy just shut down, then you have a lot of these budgetary shortfalls. You have a lot of things that didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, And that's and that is why, of course, a lot of people on the left, myself included believe that' it 's important to try to address these issues on the state and local level, and I understand, and I think it 's a reasonable critique to say, well that doesn't mean that this is just some sort of a grab bag to make up for right. maybe decades, but there are ways yeah, decades
0: of, of profligate pension right. spending but yeah.
1: there are there are ways of designing state and local, uh, state and local aid that Make sure that that is minimized at least, and so I would I would argue that on this package, uh, a reasonable counter proposal to you know three hundred and what's it three hundred and fifty billion dollars as opposed to saying well zero is our counter saying well less but also we want to make sure it's targeted for specifically COVID related funds or you know tax funds that weren't received because right. of COVID. But I, I, no, I didn't I, hear I, that. I, yeah. And so the lack of and I wanted to talk about that, too. The lack, it seems to me, of good faith, the fact that it seems like people on both sides are more interested in having the issue, even in the midst of this crisis, than sort of negotiating good faith is kind of is kind of disturbing to me.
0: You know, again, I'm I'm the cynic, so I would say it's it's not surprising. And I, I suppose it's not surprising that it's 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 less disturbing to me. Um, Maybe it's but, not,
1: it's still disturbing to you, but it's not surprising to you. And it's not yeah, surprising and, you to me know, either.
0: Maybe that's, maybe that's the way to, to, to put it. Um, but, uh, look, look, these are all negotiations and, and there's, there's something, and, and this is, you know, I and this is something I encounter in my, my other life. Um, there's something inherently dishonest in negotiation a lot of times, right? It's just, it's just the nature of, of the beast. Um, you know, everyone says, "Well, we want to sit down and talk this out and, and negotiate uh, and that kind of thing." But um, there is there is always, um, to some extent, a, a, a you know, deception, game playing, and, and so forth, and that's that's just part of part of negotiation, right? Sure. I don't know how you get rid of it.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, um, I agree. And
0: you know, in order to for to get something that that you want, in order to give the have the other guy give up something that they want. Um, you know, often, oftentimes you have to uh, make demands or responses that are unreasonable, um, or focus on bits and pieces that do not seem to be part of the the, the big picture. And uh, look, I, I can understand the Democrats. Um, I mean, they have a lot of pressure from their their constituents, from from some of these state governors, from uh, saying, "Hey, look, if if you're throwing out money, uh, we can sure use some for for some of this other thing." And and, and realizing full well. Like we just said, that you know, once this big COVID uh, bill is spent, once COVID's over, it's going to be tougher to pull that money out for say, hey, we need to bail out Illinois's uh, pension system, right? So I I completely understand why uh, why Democrats are saying, look, if we're gonna if we're gonna do it, let's do it now while we're uh, it's it's the you sure. know one shot at, it yeah well, certainly for a while absolutely
1: this will be done through budget reconciliation. And so the question I have for you, Jay, is do you think that there will be many or any Republican votes for this when it comes up, when it comes up to a vote?
0: I, you know, I think there might be a couple. Like Romney um, maybe or. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I know, it had been floating an idea about increasing the um, uh, child tax cut that would, would, you know, even go more than
1: what Biden wanted. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so that you know maybe you get a couple um if if i'm if i'm putting on my cynical strategist hat uh i would say you know that republicans you ought to make them make uh kamala come across the street right i kind of i i sort of like that um just from a purely cynical strategy standpoint um that look if you're not gonna if you're not gonna win the vote um then you might as well make them spend as much political capital as possible to, to get it. If you're not going to get something that's worthwhile, uh, so so I think that's that's the thing, right? Unless unless Biden can pick up ten Republicans in the Senate, uh, I don't know that there's much incentive um, for Republicans to 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 sign on, uh, or or there's much incentive for the Biden administration to do anything other than reconciliation. Right, and. That makes sense, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and this is exactly this comes, you know, brings me right back to the to the filibuster again, and, and the problem with this essential, you know, essentially making it a case where for any major legislation, you need you need these sixty votes, which was something that the framers, you know, certainly didn't intend. They talked about supermajority requirements for legislation, and they rejected that idea. But uh, but now we have that, and for those people who are you know who who bow down to the sacred memory of The framers and their and their system of government they design. You know, I think that's something that people should should think about and whether or not which
0: which I do, Mike. There you uh, go. So every morning, um, (laughs) your little altar with Madison. Exactly. Yes, it's this whole yeah shrine to James Madison. Um, But no, but I I think something else though to to consider when you make when we make those kind of statements about well, filibuster wasn't in the Constitution. uh, Keep in mind the Constitution really envisioned a different role for the Senate as compared to the role it plays today. Right. There was not a direct election of senators senators reflected by States and were there to, um, as, as George Washington said, be the, the saucer that cools the hot cup of tea. Um, uh, and, and, you know, was sort of immune by popular passions from popular passions because they were not popularly elected. Uh, and they were there to represent the interests of, of states. Um, so I, I think, I mean, to, I guess that's, that's my, just if, if we're in discussing the, well, the filibuster isn't in the constitution, um, no, but, but that's okay but because it, it's a living it document
1: context. and you need to change along with the times. That's what you're saying, right? Jay?
0: No, no. I, <laughs> well, look, if you want to change the document along with the times, I think that's fine. Right. I mean, we can have this conversation that, and there's a process to do it, um, uh, and, and look, I think that's what, what happened, right? They amended the constitution and now the Senate played a different role. And then I think senators, I'd be interested to, to, uh, you know, we could do a deep dive on that as, as the, the filibuster uh, growth of the filibuster and the um, changes in uh, um, how sen- senators were selected.
1: Yeah, well, I, well, really, be the, be actually, I, sure. I I'm, at, I'm at the point in my in my class where we talk about congressional uh, congressional procedure and and the filibuster. And if you actually take a look at uh, at filibusters over time, it's basically almost a flat line until the 1970s, where it shoots up right after. And this is this is the Democrats. Uh, Mike Mansfield was the majority leader, and they decided to change the rules. And surprisingly, when you make it easier to stop business in the Senate, right. it Becomes easier or stop legislation. People do it more often. So you know right. this was uh, the law of unintended consequences. One of the I would say one of the most boneheaded things with good intentions that has been done in in our in, in my, our lifetimes at least. Well, slight, you know certainly in our politically active lifetimes. But horrible idea, horrible idea. One thing we have again to blame the seventies for much more than disco or other things like that. Very bad, bad idea. Anyway. Anyway, we will probably come back to this uh, maybe next week or, or, or afterwards when the vote, because there will be a vote soon. But right now we're going to just take a short break. And when we get back, we'll be talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Liz Cheney and uh, what's going on with the Republican Party. OK, so, yeah, Jay, a big week in the House Republican uh, House Republican conference, certainly. Uh, you know, the, I would say it's sort of the question of the future direction of the Republican Party was brought sort of front and center with a couple of these votes. Number one, the vote on retaining Wyoming Republican Liz Cheney as the number three House Republican and also the vote on removing freshman republican marjorie taylor green from her committee assignments and cheney was of course the highest ranking of the 10 house republicans who voted to impeach president trump she actually kept her leadership position by a vote of 141 to 61 with one abstention and we don't know who voted what way on that because the ballot was secret but what we do know is that 30% of the house republican caucus voted to remove cheney now, far fewer House Republicans.
0: Oh, and seventy percent didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But still, one third is
1: you know. Um, but yeah, fair fair point. That's the other way to do the number, obviously. But far fewer House Republicans voted to remove Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee assignments. And that vote, which was by the entire House, was two hundred thirty to one hundred ninety-nine, with only eleven Republicans voting to remove Greene from her committees. And prior to the vote. Green, who had been really, at least publicly, almost entirely unapologetic for her support of conspiracy theories and some pretty highly inflammatory statements, including about putting a bullet in the head of uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, um, which is wow, said that in her statement on the House floor, said she believed that the 9-11 attacks absolutely happened and that school shootings were absolutely real. And she also said that her comments and tweets made Prior to her being in Congress were words of the past that do not represent me. It seems to me I I read her statement. Uh, Her argument was, in my view, essentially that until a few years ago, she wasn't very politically involved. She got all worked up and in the
0: process. An average, crazy kook. Average,
1: average crazy, incredibly wealthy construction person. Right. Um, But anyway, she ended up believing some things that she now realizes are not true. And that when she realized they were false, she stopped liking on social media and promoting them. Now, others have pointed out, well, you've been promoting some stuff since the election. And so how does that square with that? But we can get into that anyway. But unlike the Cheney vote, members had to go on the record with this one, which almost certainly made it, in my view, more a more difficult call for Republicans who might be concerned about any potential backlash from the base and. In addition, I think many Republicans viewed the vote as overreach by House Democrats because the minority party has always enjoyed the privilege of assigning and removing its members from committees. So, yeah. Jay, what's your uh, you you're our you're a House Republican here. What's your what's your take on this?
0: Well, I think that the Cheney vote, um, I, again, to me that this this seems very much. I, I read it very much the opposite that that you do that. Um, if if you have seventy percent of the caucus voting for you to keep you in leadership, you're in a pretty secure position. Um, and again, that's that's the secret vote. People could have have uh, uh, pushed, and uh, uh, if they had really wanted to express dissatisfaction, could have done so, um, but they didn't. Uh, so I think that's that's telling. Um, the Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, I, I think the other piece to remember is that you know the. She has been sort of heavily sanctioned uh I think Mitch McConnell, who's at this point the nominal leader of the party, has called her a cancer on the republican party um so that's that's you're not in a good place if your your you know nominal leader of your party is is not just disagreeing with you, but calling you a cancer on the party. You think Mitch
1: McConnell is the nominal leader of the party? I'm, I'm really surprised well, I by who... that because it seems to me that Donald Trump is the nominal leader of the party. And uh, I guess that's really the question. I, I think I, I reject that idea that Mitch McConnell is the one who's who's uh, who's really has is at the center of gravity of the Republican Party. And, you know, on that, to me, it seems like the fact that almost a third of the caucus feels that one of the caucus's leaders, one of the party's leaders should be removed for, you know, for voting to impeach the the former president. That to me suggests that there's a pretty important split within the Republican party.
0: Yeah. Well, but, but consider in in any caucus uh, on any given day, there's always people who are jockeying for leadership uh, there are people who would may want to see um, uh, Liz Cheney gone for for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, there's probably thirty percent of the people who didn't who didn't vote for her for leadership in the first place. Um, so I, that's you know I, I guess I I don't I don't see it as uh, if if this were the the really grave sin and everyone's really afraid of Donald Trump. Uh, or everyone really believed that uh, Liz Cheney ought to be removed from leadership, you would have seen a much bigger number there. Um, and, and with Marjorie Taylor Greene, again, there was the, um, the Republicans made an offer about, we'll remove her from these committees uh, if the Democrats would agree to it. Of course, they wouldn't. Um, and and then you set up this this strange situation, and I completely understand Republicans voting uh, against removing, uh, having the other party remove one of their members. From committees crazy as she may be, um, I, I think at some point you stand up for the principle about look this is something that's never been done where the majority per- party simply says, hey minority party we're going to tell you who you can have on on what committees uh, and and setting Marjorie Taylor Greene aside, you know one I think does one does the punishment fit the crime um, Two, what's the limiting principle?
1: Well let, let right? me ask you about that because not that long ago, uh, in fact, a little more than a year ago, I think it was, that Kevin McCarthy had a similar situation on his yep. hands, right, with, uh, with Representative Steve King from Iowa. Yep. And he made a remark, uh, comparatively speaking. Fairly uh, innocuous, comparatively speaking, to what some mm, of the stuff Green has I, No, said. I would
0: actually say King's King's remark was was really more pro- problematic. So you think it's less problematic
1: to have Marjorie Taylor Greene saying maybe a bullet to the head for Nancy Pelosi is uh is an okay thing? That's, that's well, less no, I, problematic?
0: I, I, I don't, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying um, again, looking at when the remarks were said, the nature of them. The Steve King remarks were, I, I think you would say, explicitly racist. Um, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is just playing nuts. Well, and so I let, guess, let, I hold guess on. Let, where, let's let's, let's pull would.
1: back. Let's pull back because what what Steve King said in an interview was in context, white nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization. How did that language become offensive? So, I mean.
0: OK, then I mean, at one point, as I understand that the, this this statement was, what's wrong with white supremacy?
1: Well, I, I mean, that's that was that was literally the statement from Steve King in The New York Times interview that caused all this. So there might have been other, you know, uh, paraphrasings and so forth. But that was what he said. OK. And whereas, again, the Marjorie Taylor Greene thing, among other things, right, space lasers by Jews that caused California fires, okay. Um, and also, again, that idea- That seems far-fetched. Well, yeah, but but again, <laughs> the idea of saying, well, maybe we should execute, maybe it's a good idea. Even even saying this in jest to execute the, the, uh, the Speaker of the House, um, I don't think there's any comparison there at all, really. And so McCarthy acted and removed King from all of his committees. And in this case, though- McCarthy decided, well, we'll just remove her from the Education Committee and put her on something else. So, I I mean, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say, hey, look, you did this for Steve King for remarks that, for one remark, and here Taylor has a history of remarks. And not only that, and okay, you can say she said these things before she was a seated member of Congress in January, but the fact that she was unwillingly, to publicly apologize or retract any of these comments until those, until she was on the house floor when there was this vote, that to me suggests a huge problem.
0: Oh, I, I agree. There's, it's a huge problem. Um,
1: but, but you don't with agree the, with
0: the solution. No, I mean, I, I, I think, um, again, I, I think there's a, there's a difference in, you know, one. I, I think there is an important line to draw between can the House discipline you for things you said before you're a member versus things you say when you're a member. Okay, and I think, I, I think that's, that's an that's, important I think that's, distinction. I think that's, but... a little bit, that's a, a legitimate line to draw yep. because otherwise you get into this situation, right? Of you know what? Here's what some member wrote 40 years ago in their high school newspaper. And we demand that they're removed from their committees.
1: That's it. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And here's Mm. why I think this is different, because if you are asked about that thing, let's say, you know, 40 years ago when your high school newspaper, you say, you know, I think that I think that white people are better than black people. All right. And someone asks you about that and you say, well, you wrote this thing. Well, the response is I was young and stupid and high. I don't know. And I I uh, I retract that I. I totally that is not who I am. But that's right. not what Green did when she's been asked multiple times about the Pelosi mark specifically and just you know, refusing to simply to, to say, you know what, that was wrong and I wish no physical harm to the speaker. I haven't seen any kind of comment like that. And so that's what brings it into the present. And that's why I think the had she simply said, you know what, number 1, I said these things before I was a member. Okay, fine. And number 2, all of these things that are brought up, I reject these things now. Specifically, reject these things, but she didn't do that, and that to me is the heart of the problem. And that's why, in fact, I would be fine with—I would have been fine with a vote to expel her.
0: Well, you know, let's here. Here is this is a question that was has been interesting me, bothering me, right on Marjorie Taylor Green, is which is which is worse? Uh, is it? I said those things purely uh, because I thought they would help me politically um, because I was trying to appeal to a rabid base. Um, Or is it a fact that she is just plain crazy? Um, I I don't know which which of those scenarios is worse. I think we're looking at one of those. I mean, it Mm -hmm. could be both of those, I I guess. But um, look, I mean, here's the thing. There's there's no apology that she can ever make. That's going to be enough for Democrats. Right. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that. No, I mean, I that she, doesn't she made, mean she that she made what apologies she, she made and, and they took their, their action.
1: But the thing is, is okay. The thing is, is she did not specifically disavow those, you know, those specific comments. It right. was kind of a blanket. Well, I was led to believe certain things that were wrong. I think is right. how she put it. And come on, that's not that's, a real that's apology. What I, that's
0: what I mean. And she may actually be crazy. Um, well, then her but apology think, isn't sincere. Vote, do we want a crazy person? You think the vote would have been different if she had made a very sincere apology? That that doesn't matter. You don't do of the right thing. Does. No, no, I'm, it doesn't, Jay. It doesn't
1: because you don't do the right thing because of what the other side might do in response. You do the right thing, damn it, because it's the right thing. Right. So, right. and that, that that to me, I, I'm, I'm going to reject this idea that, well, yeah, I mean, you're right. You're right that for some people... There is nothing that Marjorie Taylor Greene could do that would be enough. I I totally agree. She could self-immolate herself like some Buddhist monk protesting the Vietnam War, and that would not be enough for some people. And those people are wrong. But that doesn't mean that just because you can't do enough for everyone doesn't mean that you cannot rise to the level of what common decency requires.
0: No, but I think you're missing my point in that Marjorie, that may be what that may be what what you get with Marjorie Taylor, right? I mean, you're you're sort of assuming there is a a ability there to okay to tell discern right from yeah. Wrong. I see what you're saying.
1: You're saying she might
0: legitimately still I'm believe these things. Yeah. Well, in that case, then she
1: should be expelled.
0: I, I think that's uh, well. That's that's what I'm saying. That's an interesting question to me. Can you <laughs> okay. can you expel someone for? Because because they're crazy. Well, sure, the house um, gets the choose. I mean, you
1: know, Congress can expel yeah. members for anything. So
0: yeah, absolutely. That's- and if that were the case, uh, I mean, what what are we to make of uh, say former Representative Cynthia McKinney, who was a nine eleven truther?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: right. Or or yep. Elon Omar. And again, I, I was thinking there's there's really some irony here in that um, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, You know, in the in the interest of bipartisanship, Marj- Marjorie Taylor Greene. and uh, representative Elon Omar probably could have found some common ground on the laser thing um, well I know uh,
1: that you' i mean oh, yeah and of course there a lot of people on the right are bringing up representative Omar, but I should point out that you know she actually did issue what I felt was a much stronger apology for her for her. Remarks and also she joined the House in a vote that after that, right after that, that condemned anti-Semitism. So I think it's a yeah. I don't know that the the analogy is as, is is uh, spot
0: on as a lot of people might think it is on uh, initial. It, can, it condemned anti-Semitism, but there wasn't there was also how how did this go? There was a because um, we did a show on that actually mm-hmm. um, when it happened, and it was the there was another version of it originally, which was going to be sort of condemning those remarks. And then it sort of came out of, well, we're condemning racism generally. And, and, but, but that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. My, my, my point is, um, I, I think, look, the, the party has its, its right to see, see who wants to, who can see it on its, its own, um, on the committees. Um, and, uh, you know, if McCarthy, um, uh, you know, should have done more or there should have been a vote to remove her from all committees. Maybe that. Okay. But I also get the, the idea that, uh, um, you know, other, you, you've, you've got two, two situations. And again, I, I know you're not going to like this when I get into the cynical, pure strategic thinking, but look, if you're the other side and can call upon the other, uh, the other party and say, look, we don't like what this member said before they are in office or while they're in office, we demand you pull her off, uh, all the committees, um, and, and that, uh, party either does it or then has to have them removed. I think that's, that's a, a, a big problem. And yeah, I
1: hear, you know, I hear this, you.
0: This is, this is something that, um, you know, you, you, as, as McConnell said, uh, to, um, Uh, Harry Reid. I mean, this is something you're going to regret maybe sooner rather than later.
1: You know what? I, 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 I I will take issue with that. I understand what you're saying and I get the argument. But as far as I'm concerned, whenever a sitting member of Congress has made remarks about executing the Speaker of the House or any other member of Congress and refuses to disavow <laughs> those remarks. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Are. That that's so a line. I, I would. I would yeah, I'm, I'm willing like, to I'd vote to expel, expel that member from Congress every single time, Democrat, Republican, or anything else. So if you want to draw that line in the sand, I'm okay with that line.
0: All right. So okay. So you, I, I would. Yes, the the expulsion is okay if if we're we threatening, proposing murder. Um, yeah. So, or are not disavowing previous proposals
1: or uh, encouragements or endorsements of murder.
0: Yeah. Let's, okay, so that kind of gets to my, my next issue, though. Where, where is the limiting principle in terms of uh, what the majority can do to the minority?
1: There's never been one. I mean, the House gets to decide its own rules for, you know, for, for membership, and that's always, it's always been the limiting, the limiting principle for anything in-house so, rules so is whatever a majority have, wants so more
0: than more than half of uh now this is last year's congress but most of them are the same right but so more than half of the republican caucus in the house uh supported uh trump's uh, contesting the election
1: mm-hmm. uh
0: would the would nancy pelosi be within her rights to say i don't want any of those people serving on any committees sure absolutely okay She could she
1: could say that. And then there would be a vote. I mean, Congress gets to decide its own rules, including who gets to be on committees. And the limiting principle is exactly what the majority will tolerate. It's the same thing for the limiting principle of democracy in general. What's the limiting principle of how crazy you can be and be elected to Congress or be elected to the presidency? Well, whatever you can get enough people to vote for.
0: That's the limiting principle in a democracy. Doesn't that doesn't that run into an, an issue of disenfranchising voters? Well, yeah, absolutely, and then the they limiting look, principle look, there right, look, is what Marty voters are going to do in, in response. It's hey, elections have crazy.
1: consequences.
0: <laughs> but I, I guess, yeah, but but that's that's sort of the the problem is is you can't disenfranchise voters uh, because of I guess the, the consequences, right?
1: I, I'm. I'm not. Well, are you saying that? Well, you're talking about exp, expulsion as opposed to removing her from committees.
0: Um, both. I mean, because remove your committee. I mean, let's let's that that limits her effectiveness for her constituents to some degree.
1: Well, not not as far as she's concerned. She said it would have been a waste of her time anyway. So apparently this is a this is something well, that didn't really sure matter. Have more, to time, her
0: more time to spend surfing the Internet. But. <laughs> um, uh yeah the that was trevor Noah I think who i I don't usually watch, but he made the great comment about, look, look, now she gets to do none of the work and still get the same money <laughs> um they they really should have assigned her to every committee, yeah, yeah, um, keep her busy and keep her out of trouble um no but i i mean this this is sort of a, a serious question is if the majority simply decides that uh the folks minority members that those those people who voted for marjorie taylor Greene are are were misguided. Um Therefore, you lose your representation um that, that doesn 't that sort of strike a blow against representative democracy sure as
1: does as does the electoral college as does presidential impeachment and removal these are these are part of the you know this is part no, of no, the no. system but,
0: but but look but I get the electoral college piece, but that 's designed to be sort of anti democratic right The house is supposed to be the democratic uh, so is the house know, right? is, they, they, they no. set this, they set this up so you would have Well, one house that that is the, you know, responding to immediate uh, passions, right? So there's sort of some immediacy there. You have a second house that is supposed to be more deliberative and is more insulated. Uh, And then you have the the presidency, which is has another degree of insulation. Um, I
1: got to say, let me stop you, because. I think, again, you need to pull out your Constitution. Article 1, Section 5, each House may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its member for disorderly behavior, and with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. So this is not just something that was invented. This is part of the constitutional framework. This was specifically designed by the framers in not just the Senate, but the House to be potentially anti-democratic, potentially disenfranchising.
0: Okay. Uh, again, I, it's,
1: you may disagree with it, but Hey, Daniel, that's what the amendment process is for.
0: Right. Right. So take it up guess, with James Madison. <laughs> again, I, I, I speak to him every morning. Um, no, but, uh, but I guess you're, you're not going to acknowledge that there's, that if, if you have, and let's, let's set aside the constitutional ability to do it. Okay. And let's say, let's just look at the optics of it. Right? Okay. Does this? Does that? Um, uh, do we think this is this is something that is helpful uh, to the legitimacy of uh, the perceived legitimacy? Oh yeah, and I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, you're say, it, look, we're going to we're not going to let <laughs> we're not going to let you people talk because well, we don't like you people. Absolutely. I mean yep. it's
1: it's a pretty it's it's a very extreme thing and it should be reserved for only the most extreme cases. I mean that's exactly the argument that Republicans have been making for, you know, Donald Donald Trump not, you know, not having not impeaching or not, you know, uh, removing when he was president him. So yeah, I, I right. certainly I certainly agree that it is a very extreme thing and it should be taken, you know, very done very, very judiciously. So yeah, you and I agree on that. Okay. so I should point out before we move on, I should point out that in the interim, Green has raised over one point six million dollars from small donors since all of this started, which, you know, there you there you go. Seems to be pretty effective, at least on that level. So. All right. um, Before we do move on to talk about, uh, well, President Trump, his impeachment trial, we'll take one more short break and we will be right back. Okay, so President Trump's second impeachment trial is scheduled to begin early next week, and I think we're starting to see the approach that both the prosecution and the defense are likely to take. The House impeachment managers filed their pretrial brief this week, and it focused mainly on his incitement to the insurrection but also argued that the president's slow response to the Capitol attack constitutes dereliction of duty, which I should point out is a charge not made in the article of impeachment itself. Now, the filing submitted by the former president's legal team argued first that it's unconstitutional to hold an impeachment trial for a former president. And you've kind of read through the response. It's like irrelevant, irrelevant, irrelevant. It's kind of fun to read in in a sense. Um, But also that in any case, the former president did not incite insurrection against the United States. And in response to the charge that President Trump spread false claims about election fraud, the defense denies that these claims are false. Also, the House this week, the House impeachment managers, requested that President Trump testify at the trial, a a request which Trump quickly and, in my view, rightly rejected. So, Jay, I thought... Maybe we should start here with the question that is at the heart of Donald Trump's defense. And that's the question that you know, all 45 Republican senators agreed with, that it's unconstitutional to try him in the first place because he's no longer president. What do you think about that?
0: Um, I will say in, in, in all honesty, and I think this really ought to apply to most anyone who discusses this topic, is to say, beats the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Right, I mean this. This is I. There, there. Actually, I've I've done some reading on both sides of this. Um, Uh, there, uh, Alan Dershowitz has has had a had a good op ed about why it's unconstitutional, and I'm trying to think who it was who took the other side. Um, but I read both of them and and found both of them convincing. Yep, yeah, me too. Um, and and I guess I guess this this is the 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 problem is this is something that is so weird. Uh, there. It literally is unprecedented. It's also something that I think, no matter what happens, uh, uh, if if it were ever referred to any court, they were they would look at this and say, "Hey, that's a political question. We're yeah. not getting involved." Yeah. Um. So it's not like there's there's real precedent to even point to, and there's precedent about uh, removal of other uh, impeachment of of uh, cabinet officers after they've been out. Um. So I I would say, look, if 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 you're if this is purely academic of can a president be impeached after they're out of office, um, if you're asking me which way I'm leaning, I would say I'm leaning that, yes, uh, you can. Um, But but to me, the other question is sort of like, okay, if it's unconstitutional, who's going to do something about it?
1: Yeah. Because I agree with you entirely on this, because the only thing the Constitution directly says is that the Senate has the sole power to trial impeachments. And so that's it. And as you said, that any court would, the Supreme Court would ultimately kind of say this is a political question, which means that the Senate gets to decide. And so it's not so much a question, it seems to me, of whether it's constitutional or not. It's whether or not the Senate. Decide it is appropriate, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, I think no, I think that's that's right. There's no there's no court to appeal this to.
1: Right, and and so
0: I mean, look, like as I look, we could be wrong on that, right? I mean, maybe maybe somebody appeals, and maybe the court says, yeah, we will take this up. It's not a political question. I I think that the chances of that happening are would be like a thousand to one. Well, maybe you could find a
1: district that. court judge who would agree with that, right? I mean, you
0: know, right, right. But still, I think by the time it gets to the Supreme Court, yeah. they would say we're, we're punting on this. Yeah. Um,
1: but it, you know, I would would just
0: really, really quickly, Jay, that
1: that that word, uh, punting, I, yes. I, I, you know, it has a negative connotation, but I, I don't necessarily think it always should, because that suggests that well, the court should decide all of these things, and it raises some important right, right. separation it, it, it of it powers issues. They're, they're
0: attempting to dodge something. Yeah. Right. And I know I, I, I get your point. And, and yeah, that's the you could say what they're they're not punting, but they are appropriately declining to exercise jurisdiction, jurisdiction where they, they don't believe it exists.
1: Exactly. Now, there, of course, there are issues where the court just you know uses that as an excuse to punt. I just wanted to make that distinction because in this area, I really don't think that the court, a court not ruling on this would be kind of trying to avoid making a tough call, but actually would be appropriate because in my reading of the Constitution, the Senate gets to decide
0: what it wants to do here. Period. Yeah, no, this this would seem to me, again, to be a political question if there ever was one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now. And again, the, the jurisprudence on political questions is kind of kind of skimpy. Right. Again, it just doesn't come up that often. It's not like there is a, uh, you know, r- you know, real big backlog of cases you can look at. Um but anything involving the legislative branch, right, anything that where, where a decision is assigned to the legislative branch has almost uh, always been found to be a political yeah. question. So,
1: And the, the other thing, I guess, is it seems to me that regardless of how you look at this, it is a very convenient way for Republicans in the Senate to not have to take a tough vote because you can just yeah. say, well, I mean, I guess you would agree with that, obviously.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and look, I, and I would say it's not, you know, I, I think, I think by, as you pointed out, by saying it's unconstitutional, that is sort of uh, the same as saying the Senate saying, we think this is unwise uh, or inappropriate. Um, and, then, and look, yeah. if if it is a political question, then you're completely that's their right to try to draw that line, and if you if you have the votes, you have the votes. Yeah, but I think the um, language is, is one important. Of, so this is one of those areas where I I differ from you, like as opposed to what we talked about just a minute ago with with Marjorie Taylor Greene, because I think this is something that is really completely assigned, and it is purely political power. And if if you got the votes, you got the votes. Yeah. Um,
1: but I think so, the language is important because by saying it's unconstitutional, that makes it look well, it's out of our hands, even if we wanted to do it, we couldn't, but by saying that it's inappropriate, that's a different sort of thing, and it's it, this to me
0: really I mean, is a dodge what right they well they could i think they could say, listen, we don't as the Senate, we don't believe that the Constitution empowers us to do this, so we're not going to do it sort of sort of the i mean um. You know, way back when, I mean, the George Washington's uh, original understanding was was that he was the guy who would veto stuff. If it was if it was unconstitutional, right? Um, that's the way he looked at it. And so it was sort of that at that point, the executive branch sort of deciding constitutionality. That was that was, of course, before Marbury versus Madison. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, this is this, the same thing as if you want to say that. Uh, the Constitution assigns the decision of this case to the Senate. Well, then the constitutionality is sort of up to the Senate. And 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 look, we're maybe parsing terms a little bit. Yeah. Um, because I, I think uh, by senators saying getting into the weeds of what what you and I are talking about about look, are we empowered to hear this case? Do we have jurisdiction? Uh, so forth. The the easier shorthand is to say it's not constitutional. Right. right. You know, it's it's the easier one. It's the easier shorthand. And it's more politically, plays better politically. Um, and three, I would say it's not it's not entirely incorrect. It may be imprecise. Yeah. But, but let, not let, incorrect. Let's
1: say, Jay, that you are, you're Rob Portman, right? Retiring uh, or not running again, Senator from Ohio. Okay. Yes. And, you know, I I think you'd be just fine in that role. I think you'd be right okay. along the lines. I mean, Rob Portman and you, I think, you know, you, there's not a lot of distance necessarily between you on a lot of things. but. Let's say you're in that position. How how do you vote on this?
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the um, I'd really have to to sit and think about it and and read the briefs. Uh, I mean, you're talking on the on the constitutionality question. Uh, yeah, on that on vote, bigger, and I think Portman.
1: I don't recall what Portman's vote was, but I mean, it, you know,
0: yeah, um, you know, I, it's it, here's here's and I'm going to go back to where I was a couple weeks ago that the. The uh, in, the bill of impeachment, um, I, I think, is o- overstates it, right? And I think they would have done better to have focused, as they did in in the brief, on more the dereliction of duty, uh, or, or as I had said, sort of what gross. Uh,
1: right. Uh, you know, but but that gets into the question. Of course, there's the difference between
0: what you can do in a legal proceeding. Right, exactly. This- right, right, right. No, and, and that's that was what I was just going to say. Yeah. Now, if, if this were if this were a regular legal indictment, you're saying we're indicting him on this charge, you can't go and then say, okay, but we're going to convict him on, right. he did. well, he didn't do that, but he did something else. In impeachment, it is sort of more an anything goes type thing. Um, uh, I think, but I'm saying for the, the purposes of the process being maybe a little more honest, being able to get more votes, um, if, if it had been worded the other way, that, that might've been better. Okay. And yeah. if I were a Senator, I would feel better about saying, listen, here's, here's what I'm, I'm voting on. Um, because no, I mean, if you look at, did he incite a riot or incite an insurrection? I think that's a tough case to prove. From a, um, if
1: it were like an illegal, yeah, not yeah, impeachment. Exactly. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Illegal, yeah. Well, let um, me let me put the question to you differently then, um, because since you're not a senator, don't have to respond to the voters. I can I can yes. ask you to make a tough vote. So assuming that the the article had included the dereliction of duty charge, um, because I know you have a problem with that. But let, let's assume that and that that's what that's the case that's brought to you. So if the evidence you have before you is the House impeachment manager's brief, which I know you looked at, um how how do you based on what you know
0: now? How how do you vote on that? How would I, you I, at this at this point? Uh, and and again, Mike, I'm a juror. I haven't heard all the evidence. Sure, I absolutely, everything. absolutely. My and my my inclination would be I that there is enough evidence to support a conviction on the dereliction of duty or uh, gross mismanagement or I mean, maybe there's some other way to, to phrase it, right? That um, yeah. Yeah, but that would that would be my my sense of of where I'd be, and and I and I would feel okay on the vote on that, right? Because because it, it is it is something to say, hey, I'm voting, and technically I'm voting to convict this person, or or say that this person incited a riot, which he, you know, again, I
1: yeah, I'm, I I'm more iffy on that too. I think
0: that's a tough uh, case to prove. Um, especially when, I mean, now there's evidence that shows, look, the attack was kind of underway while he was still talking and coming from a different place and all that sort of thing. Um, that's not to accuse him, but it's, it's to say, um, you know, he, he may have shot the sheriff, but he didn't shoot the deputy. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I guess that's, uh, I, I would be more comfortable if it had that other, uh, language in it. And I could say, this is the reason now, again, you can still say that obviously, um, because it's the Senate and it's impeachment and sort of anything goes. Yeah. Um. But you know, when people look back at the record, they will still look at here was the you know the bill of particulars on the the uh, uh, the impeachment resolution, and here was the vote. Yeah. And and if you're a senator,
1: you can you can certainly say in voting, you can say, well, I am voting to convict. Not uh, I am voting convict based on this and not on this in the article, and that's perfectly. Perfectly okay, and the record would would obviously reflect that. Then,
0: yeah, but and it seems to me, so yeah, somebody wanted to dig deep and into the, you know, yeah, Yeah. how did everybody vote and why? But you know,
1: it seems like we agree on this that the dereliction charge is a much easier one to demonstrate than the incitement, and it's not. It's going to come as no surprise that I would also vote uh, along with you uh, on that. On that, certainly, but I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't think you think that's going to happen
0: either. No, I don't. Um, because here, here's the other thing, and I think I we talked about this, you know, a couple weeks ago when we talked about, you know, where where Chris and I would be on on impeachment. And I said, look, there's there's sort of a legal test I look at. There's a factual test, but then there's also the prudential test. Sure. And I, and I guess that's sort of the the prudential piece of it um, is, you know, because and, and, I look. I think a lot of people will look at this. I understand Democrats won't look at it this way. Um, but people who are struggling with the pandemic and are waiting for the relief package would say, "Wait a minute! Why are we? Why are we bothering to impeach this guy who's already out?" Um, you know, and again, again, I get the well, you can say, "Well, then he, he won't be able to run again." Uh, you can say, "Well, because it's it's vindication and it it needs to be said. There needs to be something on the record." And and yeah, I, I get that. Um, but but to me, the prudential piece of it and the the idea of moving on and and you know uh getting back to normalcy and not just, you know, post covid normalcy but post trump normalcy. Yeah. Um does that. And I also I don't like the precedent of um impeaching someone on the way out. It it's it strikes me it's 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 not it's not quite the lock her up uh chance, but it's a little it's a little banana republicy. Uh, you know what I mean? The the idea that um because because again, it, you can say this is an odd uh, bizarre circumstance. When is this ever going to happen again? That's um, There were there yeah. were plenty of there were plenty of people. There are plenty of Democrats uh, who, back in uh, 2008, wanted George Bush prosecuted for war crimes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I you know, do you do you run well, the it, risk of then every after every turnover in office, well, we get the impeachment of the old guy? Um, I think maybe, it's like the. Maybe the Spartans, only if. Spartans used to do that, right? After Well, every, hold every, on. Hold on, China. though.
1: Maybe only if at the very end of that person's term, he leads a rally that leads to a storming of the Capitol and decides to not really act as the Capitol is being stormed.
0: So, I yeah. mean, no, it's. I, it's I, a, I, that's, that's, yeah, that's a fair question. You know.
1: But again, it gets to like the like green thing, four, right? What's, what's the standard? Times. But, but, but again, I think that Donald Trump, and I hope that Donald Trump is an isolated example. And we don't see the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Josh Holley's at the party kind of picking up that mantle. And I know you feel the same way as does you and I and Mitch McConnell are all on the same page here.
0: Yeah. So and that's, <laughs> that's rarely the case.
1: No, yeah, that definitely rarely the case. And so,
0: but, but no, but, I mean, you, you understand my, my concern of yeah, the, the balancing of the sure. what good that you get out of, a a conviction out of a, yeah. a a vindication, right? So so to speak, uh, may be outweighed by the future abuse of that process. Yep,
1: absolutely. I think that's an important question to keep in mind. And you have to, like you said, you have to weigh well how important of a deterrent might this be to future people, saying that if you go down this road, you will be disgraced and humiliated and and that sort of thing. And You'll lose your political future as opposed to, well, how much disunity does this cause? Yeah, that, that reasonable people can come to different conclusions about that. I totally yeah. agree.
0: So on, on Trump testifying, you, your position is that he should not be called to testify.
1: Well, no, I'm saying that or, or he, 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 he was he, smart he, he, to refuse to testify because yeah. there's no way that that could, <laughs> that could
0: work out well for him, right? So no, I mean. I don't know. Depends on what you mean by, depends on how you define well, right? How so? Good. Uh, well, I mean, I'm interested in hearing If you. the if the idea is uh we're going to put Donald Trump in front of cameras for hours on end and let him talk, uh I'm I can okay think with that. Donald Trump would like nothing better than that.
1: I'm okay with that because I think that He has his actions since the election have so damaged him politically that while that might that might very much appeal to the 30 percent or 30 something percent of the electorate. I think that that would just make the case even more strongly because he wouldn't be able to be in that position and not make the say say the same lies and be Donald Mm -hmm. Trump.
0: And I think that I I think, wow, I see, I I think um. If I'm Trump, I'm playing this of no, no, I'm not going to testify. No, no, I'm not going to testify. And they will keep demanding I testify and then finally say, all right, I'll testify. And then he shows up and he's going to lay into it about the uh, voting machines in Georgia and fraud and, uh, uh, you know, all this stuff. And Let him. keep going. And then and then and then, you know. What will happen is Democrats will object, and you know Lee will bang the gavel and yell at him and it it will be it will be a a circus, and Donald Trump will be the ringmaster, and his people will eat it up. Um, he will look like he's the victim, um, and that's that's to me again goes to the, the prudential case, right? The, of why why are you doing this? I mean, it's sort of like the Marjorie Taylor Greene situation that we talked about a minute ago. Her fundraising, uh, you know. Shot shot up dramatically after all this. Um, this this would seem to empower Donald Trump. Is, is will he look like the victim, or
1: will that. he look like a pathetic, a pathetic loser liar?
0: I think he'll look like a victim to certainly to the people who, um, who who are watching this. Sure, to to, well, no. to his to his people who certainly look like a victim, and I think I do think it'll elicit sympathy and a lot of other folks who who will say, I disagree. Why are we that. doing this? I think, who, who I think say, it will. What's, what's the point he's out of office.
1: I think Donald Trump will remind us why we are doing this by his statements. Okay. Uh, I think, I think after, like I said, after the election and especially after January 6th, I think that you look at just the public approval numbers. You look at the people supporting uh, going on with this, with this impeachment in the Senate impeachment trial in the Senate. And I think, I I'd love to see him testify because uh, I think you know it's good to have this reminder of the of the sad pathetic horrific loser that Donald Trump is.
0: Yeah. So here here's the thing I think and this is um I think this is this is a piece that, that a lot of Democrats are missing is at some point or another or maybe not at some point or another sooner or later they're going to have to be the party of something other than i'm we're not donald trump and you know look here here we are this was you know it's february 6th and we're still talking about donald trump um and a month from now we're still going to be talking about donald trump so wait 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 wait. and then another i mean so what i'm saying is this is if if you're joe biden and this is the first hundred days and all that i mean you'd
1: I don't know. No, I, I, just, I see what I you're saying. I just
0: think it's a. I think it's. I see it's what you're saying, but another way to look it, at
1: it is to say, "Well, it's only been. It's come on. It's been a month since
0: the Capitol was stormed. I mean, can't we move on?
1: <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, I, we have well, to consider yeah, the could, magnitude. And,
0: or, or you could say, uh, as Biden sort of said in his his uh, his uh, inauguration speech, "Look, democracy won. Uh, it's over. Trump's out. Uh, now let's move forward with my agenda." Yeah, and I think but I think I, I both think, can happen. I think, I think it's going to be an issue of, you know, they're going to appear to be, you know, beating a dead horse, um, you know, and and what do you then what do you do with the midterms, right? I mean. Uh, vote for us, we'll impeach Trump again. I mean, it's...
1: Well, see, I disagree. The Democrats are pretty clearly for a lot of things. You disagree with a lot of those things. What
0: I'm saying is every minute that they focus on Trump is a minute they can't focus on those things. And sometimes you have to focus on these things to
1: make a point uh, about larger principles and the fact that certain actions will not stand. And uh, I think that this is an important hill to stand on. And I, I credit the Democrats for doing it. Okay. All right. Well, that, that, uh, I think brings us well, well past what I thought we were going to, well, our time at least, but there's a bunch of things, you know, Jay, about Donald Trump, you know, there you go. Um, a couple of things that we didn't get to that we will be getting to in the bonus show, uh, an important foreign policy speech by Joe Biden. We're going to focus specifically on how his Middle East policy is a pretty decided difference from Donald Trump's and even a, you know, a bit different from the uh, Obama administration's, as well as some more voting company, voting machine company lawsuits. And maybe we'll even get into some listener mail. And so if you are a supporter, and that will be in your feed sometime by, oh, I think Wednesday of next week. I was a little late with it for this week. Sorry about that, guys. Um, But also, of course, if you want to find out about becoming a supporter, patreon.com slash politics, guys. And again, remember, if you can't afford to become a supporter but you want that midweek show – it's not a problem. Email me, com and I will get you set up. We would appreciate it if you could subscribe to the show, leave ratings and reviews, and especially if you could share episodes on social media or email or however you want to do that. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason, mail at politicsguys.com is the easiest way to reach us. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll find those links in our show notes. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilmer Moreno, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkerson, and Nathan Sosnowski. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you'll join us.